All right, all right. Good morning. I'm excited to be here. How about you? All right, all right. This week, I was listening to a podcast with a guy named James Clear, and he said this, your level of mental toughness can only be as great as the level of challenge in your life. Your level of mental toughness can only be as great as the level of challenge in your life. And James Clear, if you go to his website, he's a, he's a blogger, he's an author. He, this is what he says about his mission and his work. At the core of my work is a simple but powerful question. How can we live better? And if you're here this morning, I think you would agree. We're asking that question all the time. How can we live better? And basically what he says is that your level of mental toughness, if you want to get tougher, if you want to live better, it's only going to rise to the level of challenge in your life and in my life. Patrick Len Choney is, is a well-known author, speaker, wrote Five Dysfunctions of a Team, Death by a Media, a lot of great books. And he says this, he says, you will either lean towards reward or responsibilities. You will either lean towards reward or responsibilities in life. Life as a parent, you're either going to say, ah, oh, finally, I'm a parent. I've been rewarded with these children. I'm just going to kind of sit back. Or maybe you've received a promotion at work and you said, now that I'm the boss, I can no longer do those things I don't want to do. I can slough those off to my subordinates or whatever it might be. So you either get to a place in life where you just kind of lean back into your rewards or, Patrick Lencioni says, you will choose to lean into responsibilities and realize, as a parent, I've been entrusted to these children. It's not now that they're to do whatever you know, I tell them to do, but I have this great responsibility. I'm raising these kids to send them out as a boss or as a leader, as you grow in your career, instead of sitting back and being like, ah, I've earned this reward to just do, not do the unpleasant work anymore. Instead, to say, you know what? I have a responsibility to lean into the hard things. A friend of mine likes to say, you know, when you're going through things at work or life or whatever, first thing in the morning, eat the frog. Has anyone heard that? First thing in the morning, you want to eat the frog? You guys are like, what does that mean? That means that unpleasant task you don't want to do. Get it over with first thing in the morning. And that will help you start your day. That's a great way. If you have an unpleasant phone call, whatever it is you want to do, you want to eat the frog first thing in the morning. When you look at great organizations, uh, Patrick Lencioni talks about some of the ones that he will counsel about this whole leaning into responsibility, not reward. And he talks about you know, organizations like Southwest Airlines, Chick-fil-A. Uh, you look at like Tom Brady, not my favorite guy, but none of those organizations, Tom Brady doesn't sit back and say, I've reached the top. I'm just going to sit back and you know, have my rewards. Instead, each one of them realizes they have a responsibility as they've been blessed, as they've been given this uh, chance to make a difference in the world. And so people like Tom Brady, Southwest Airlines are always saying, how can we get better? How can we improve? And the only way to improve our toughness, the only way to get better is to raise the level of challenge in our life. The reality is, you and I, we don't always choose the challenges that we face, right? A lot of us have gone through things where we're like, I didn't choose this challenge. Where did this come from? A couple years ago, Kristen and I were living in Wisconsin, and it was a rough time of life. I've shared that. Uh, when you're living surrounded by Packer fans, I mean, it's not great, right? Uh, and I want to say praise God for Kirk Cousins getting signed to the, to the Vikings. Amen. Uh, I'm excited about this next year. But we live in Wisconsin. It was a tough time. Uh, in all reality, I, I was jobless. I was trying to search where is God leading me. Our rent was, uh, our, our, our lease was going to be up soon. So pretty soon we're going to be homeless and jobless. 
Christmas. And we got to the point in the summer, Chris and I were having this fight, and, and, and we're kind of going back and forth. And I could just tell something was off with her a little bit. Because, uh, you know, and, uh, and I, was like, I was like, are you pregnant? And she's like, yeah, I was going to tell you later. And, uh, and it, yeah, that's how I found out that we're having our third child. It was awesome. <laughs> it was in this middle of a fight. Are you pregnant? Because you're acting kind of moody like you're pregnant. And uh, I need to give you a Snickers or something. And uh, that's how I found out we were having Andrew, who's a joy and a delight. But at that moment, <laughs> you know, realizing I am jobless, soon to be homeless, that is a challenge I did not pick. And, and each of us have things like that in our life. As we're going through life, there's some challenges we take. Yeah, I'm going to take on more responsibility. Or I'm going to choose to have more kids. And, and we raise the level of challenge in our life because we want to go to that next level. But the reality is also true that so many times in our life, we're just cruising along and then we get blindsided out of something that causes some kind of challenge in our life. And so how do we deal with those challenges in our life that we either choose or we don't choose. And that is what we're going to be talking about today. Because the reality is life is messy. Amen? Life can feel overwhelming. Amen? Our lives don't always end up just neatly packaged in a bow exactly how we plan them. But what happens, I think, because of that, because we don't always plan things that are going on, what happens, I think, so often is we think we're the only ones going through a tough time. I think... What happens so often, as much as even here at Mosaic where we say, hey, we want to be upfront with our stuff, not perfect, we're cool with that. I think there's a temptation for each of us to walk into church and be like, man, I think I'm the only one struggling with this. I look around and their marriage looks perfect and their marriage is perfect and mine isn't. Or maybe, you know, you're struggling with kids. You're like, everyone else is a phenomenal parent. I'm not. Maybe you look and maybe the baby stroller you wanted, like you didn't get it, but, you know, this other mom did. And she's, you know, in the parking lot and she's gliding through the parking lot with her awesome stroller, right? And you're like, you know, like, this old stroller, I've had four kids in this. What is going on? And we think like we're the only ones struggling through church. Or maybe we look around and we're like, man, I know he's making tons of money and I'm barely able to, to feed my family. I got another mouth on the way. How am I going to do this? So often I think we're the only ones that are struggling when we walk into church because it just seems like everyone has their life together. So can we do this real quick? If you have an area of your life that is a challenge, if you have part of your life where things are just messed up, if you have part of your story where you're just a little broken and you don't want people to know kind of how, how messed up that is part of your life, would you just raise your hand if you have part of your life? Yeah, uh, look around. Yeah, I think all of us would be like, yeah, we have a part of our life. And you know, maybe you're going to look at your neighbor and be like, I'm so glad you're as messed up as I am. You know, it makes me feel a little better. Because the truth is, we all have junk in our lives. None of us have it all together. None of us are perfect. And that's okay. We like to say not perfect. We're cool with that because none of us are perfect. We all have challenges in our life. Well, maybe you're like, well, okay, well, thanks, Eric. It's nice to know we're all equally messed up. Like, that's kind of hopeless. You know, and as we've been studying the story of God, you know, maybe, you know, as you've learned, God has this perfect standard, and the only perfect one is Jesus, but each one of us is messed up. So it's like, well, what are we going to do about that? Like, there's nothing I can do to get to that perfect standard. And it's like, you know what? The reality is, 
it's a little hopeless. And I think if Jesus would hear, he would say, you know what? <laughs> You're right. <laughs> you are a little hopeless. Unless you know a guy. <laughs> Unless you know a guy. And Jesus is like, you know what? You are hopeless on your own. The reality is, we can try to meet these challenges. We can try to rise up when we're facing something new, but we're going to fall again and again and again if we're just doing this on our own strength. And Jesus says, you know a guy. And Jesus runs into our mess. And Jesus meets us in our challenges. Jesus meets us in our brokenness, in the stuff we don't want people at church to see, in the stuff we try to hide. Jesus meets us there, and he's willing to run into those broken, messed up places of our life. And I love that Jesus isn't afraid of our mess. He wants to be in it with us in the midst of whatever challenges we're facing. The truth of the gospel is that God stepped into our messy world to save us and to free us. God doesn't just love us from a distance. He didn't encourage us to clean ourselves up or command us to try to just live harder or try to live better. By sending Jesus, God ran into our mess. We've been journeying through this gospel of Luke, which is just the story, a biography of Jesus for about the last 16 months, if you've been with us. And we're nearing the end of this journey. And if you can remember way back when we started this journey, back in December of 2016, we saw that Luke began his gospel with Zechariah, a priest, the father of John the Baptist, entering into the temple and encountering the angel there while he's doing some ministry. He starts his gospel in the temple. And then if you jump ahead to the very last chapter of Luke, Luke ends with the disciples blessing God in the temple. Then Luke starts uh, second season of his work, the book of Acts, which we're going to dive into this fall. And he opens that up with the disciples in the temple. We see that for Luke, our author, our great doctor who carefully investigated all the claims and wrote it down. We're so thankful for Dr. Luke and for Theophilus who funded his mission, who gave generously so that we could have the gospel of Luke. The temple is very important. And now we're going to see Jesus enter into the temple, this thing that's very important to Luke. Last Sunday, Brian Stevens, our pastor emeritus, uh, he did a great job being here uh, on Sunday. If you, didn't, if you missed that message, you can ch check it out online. And he talked about how Jesus committed himself to the way of the cross because of the way he entered in through certain gates and how he announced himself. And that's a great setup for where we are today. Jesus has entered in. His path has committed him to the cross, uh, this holy week of Passover. And we're, gonna, we're leading towards the cross. We're, we're going to head there. We're going to end there on uh, Easter weekend. So now we find ourselves in the very end of chapter 19 of Luke. And then we're going to be also in, in 20. If you have your Bibles, you can open up with me. Uh, the very end of chapter 19, verse 45. The words will also be here on the side screen. Luke 19, verse 45 through 48. And he entered the temple, Jesus, and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. Would you join me in prayer? God, I thank you for your reckless love that seems foolishness to the world. Uh, but God, that you chase us down, that you don't sit back in heaven, but you enter into our mess. 
I thank you for Jesus who stepped out of the comforts of heaven and came down, who entered into our brokenness. God, I pray that this morning you would be with us, that we would hear from your word, God, that it would challenge, it would convict, uh, it would comfort, uh, God, that we would learn to be more like you, to fall a little bit more in love with you, Jesus. I pray that my words be clear, there would be uh, your words flowing through me, God. And God, we just thank you for all the off-season moves that the Vikings are making to make them Super Bowl contenders. In your name we pray, amen. All right. Uh, sorry for all my Packers and Bears fans in there. Uh, why did Jesus go into the temple and make such a big ruckus? Why would he do that? It's his last week of ministry. He knows he's heading towards the cross. So why would he do this? Why take time to clean out the temple? Like, I always kind of wondered this. It seems like he could have done this at any time. Why now? Why now? Well, for one, by coming into the temple and cleaning out those who are treating it as a den of robbers, everything would have come to a halt. If you think of the temple as being this place where a steady stream of sacrifices were being made and, and all these religious practices, and it was kind of a, a conveyor belt of, of, you know, of animals being led through and slaughtered on the altar. And you know, they've got it figured down to a fine science. They've been doing this for hundreds of years. And they're just kind of going through the motions. And all of a sudden, this crazy carpenter-turned-rabbi comes in. He starts flipping tables. One of the Gospels says he has a whip, and he's driving out the money changers. One of the reasons he did that, because everything came to a halt. All the priests, all the people who had traveled for miles and miles away for Passover week, stopped. And they're staring at this crazy guy. What is he doing? Imagine with me. Put yourself in the people who were there in their shoes or in their open-toed sandals, maybe. And you've come from miles away into Jerusalem, and you've got to come with your pure, spotless lamb because that was the requirement of God. And it must have been a little stressful because this lamb has to be pure and spotless. You have to watch the lamb very carefully because if, if you're wandering through Jerusalem, you're t carrying the lamb, and, you know, all of a sudden, you know, a wild dog comes up and, like, nips it on the ear, and it's got a little, you know, a little mark there. No good. You got to go back home, get a new lamb. You got to buy a new one. Uh, if all of a sudden the lamb trips and falls and like breaks its leg, no good. You got to have a pure, spotless lamb. So I imagine it must have been pretty stressful as, you know, thousands of people converged onto Jerusalem from, from out of town for this holy week of Passover to remember what God had done through them as they led them out of bondage uh, when they were in Egypt and into freedom. So all these people are coming in. They have their sacrifices. They're kind of watching it carefully. Long lines, thick crowds, a little crazy. The kids are amped up. You got heat. It's sweat. Uh, I really picture it exactly like Disney World. Uh, you know, that's kind of what it was like. Lots of crowds. Everyone's there. It's a little stressful. You're running around. And you're waiting in these long lines. And again, this crazy carpenter runs in, starts flipping over tables, driving out the merchants who are trying to make a profit on all those people who maybe brought in a lamb. You know, something happened to it. Ah, oh, I got to buy a new one, make sure it's pure and spotless. It's crazy. Jesus comes in and, 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 he, and he comes into this religious scene and he, and he just brings it all to a halt. And he just kind of kicks over the tables and does his thing. I remember as a kid hearing this story, I mean, like, that's crazy. Like, that's pretty confrontational, Jesus. Because it didn't really, you know, jive with the picture I'd seen, you know, on all the flannel graphs 
You know, Jesus has blonde hair always, and it's long. And a lot of times he has a lamb over his shoulders, and he's kind of glowing, and he's wearing a beauty pageant sash, right? That's Jesus. And Jesus is nice, and he just kind of floats. And, uh, and he's just there to comfort us. And it's like, Jesus, this picture of you in the temple with a whip and kicking over tables, it's pretty confrontational. It's not like this, this Jesus who's just kind of here to, to, to be there and to comfort me and, you know, buddy Jesus. Can I shatter maybe some illusions this morning? Jesus' primary role was not to bring comfort. Jesus' primary role was to challenge us. If you're taking notes, I want you to write that down, that his primary role, he didn't come to comfort. He came to challenge us. Jesus came to challenge the way that people thought about God. Jesus came to challenge us and get us out of our comfort zones. Because once we're out of our comfort zones, that's when he can go in and do the work. Amen? Jesus' role is to challenge us. He comes in and interrupts the way we think about God. The Israelites had a very set way of how we interact with God and, and these lambs and this sacrificial process. And Jesus comes in and he challenges all those assumptions. He says, no, God isn't this far off creator. God is actually now clothed in flesh here among you. Jesus' role again and again throughout the Gospels is to challenge us. Now the Holy Spirit, his role is to comfort us. In John 14, 6, Jesus tells you, I'm going to send you a comforter, the Holy Spirit. I'm so thankful for the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit comes, that he comforts us when we're going through stuff. And Jesus sent us the comforter. But see, here's the thing I think sometimes that also gets us a little confused. Sometimes the devil gives us comfort while God gives us conflict and challenges. Amen? I'm going to say that again. Sometimes the devil gives us comfort while God gives us conflict and challenges. Sometimes the devil knows the best thing that he can do to take us out of the fight is just to make us comfortable and numb. And I picture, how many of you seen the movie Wally? You know, when the, uh, the humans are on board and they're just in these little pods and they're sitting back and they're overweight and they're drinking their big slurpees. That's what I think the devil wants for each one of us. We have an enemy. And he wants us just to be comfortable and just have our blinders on and just to, to not even care what's going on in the world around us. And so sometimes I think God brings challenges, brings a little conflict into our life to wake us up. C.S. Lewis says that pain is God's megaphone to a deaf world. Sometimes God allows pain into our life, challenges into our life, so that we can wake up, so we can see that we're part of a bigger world around us. So Jesus walked into the temple, into their place of worship, and interrupted how they've been doing things for years and years. This is Jesus' way of stopping the whole sacrificial system, of stopping everyone, how they're worshiping, getting their attention. Here's what New Testament scholar N.T. Wright says. He says, the sacrificial system was a signpost to the true reality. It was pointing away to Jesus. When the true reality shows up, you don't need the signposts anymore. Jesus is saying, stop staring at the signs. They're pointing to me. I'm here now. Jesus is saying, stop being so concerned about your spotless lamb and the way you've been doing things. That was all pointing to me. I'm here now. I'm interrupting this so you can see me. John, Jesus is reminding everyone what John the Baptist prophesied about him. 
He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Once the Lamb of God comes to take away the sins of the world, there's no more need for the sacrificial system and all these lambs. But see, all those familiar religious practices were very comforting. They are very comforting. They knew them. It was their traditions. It felt good. But Jesus came to challenge them. See, this act of bringing a temporary halt to the sacrificial system and how people were worshiping and then making the temple his new seat of ministry, Jesus is going to start teaching out of the temple, that act is going to lead Jesus to the cross. Luke, our author, is building the tension. This is going somewhere. It's in a movie when we see the tension rises and the music builds as our hero is being led to his death. Here's what Jesus is teaching us. Comfort never leads to the cross. Just staying comfortable, not taking risks, just being where it's easy, that never leads to the cross. But the cross was Christ's calling. You have to forsake comfort to step into your calling. Can I get an amen? You have to step out of what's comfortable to step into your calling. Let's read on. Luke 20, verse 1 now. One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple, so he's, he's kind of driven out those who are trying to make a profit in the temple, and now that's his new base of operations, and he's meeting there every day on his way towards the cross, and he's preaching and he's teaching. One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came up to him and said, tell us, by what authority do you do these things, kicking people out of the temple, and who is it that gave you this authority? Now, honestly, this is a very reasonable question for the religious leaders to act, ask, right? Like, who is this crazy dude who is cleaning out the temple so he can set up shop and start teaching and preaching there? Who is this dude who is challenging everything but how we relate to God? The question put to Jesus is a question of authority. You can write that down. The question is a question of authority. Let me ask you this. Who has authority to challenge you? Who in your life right now has the authority to speak into and challenge you? If the answer is no one, I want to challenge you that you need to have people in your life who have the authority, that you're being real with, who will step in and challenge you. In the temple, there, there's a very simple hierarchy. You, you had the, the temple soldiers, you had the priests and the chief priests at top. And, and there's a level to their authority. So who is Jesus? Who does he think he is to come in and start throwing his weight around and kind of messing up this whole hierarchy of authority? That's the natural question to ask. Jesus' answer takes them by surprise. Uh, verse 3, he answered them, I also will ask you a question. You ask me a question, I'm going to ask you a question. Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Now, when I read this first, I'm like, Wait a minute, Jesus, what in the world does John the Baptist have to do with anything? We're talking about the authority of Jesus, and he's asking about John the Baptist. Like, is this just a trick question by Ninja Jesus? Uh, I like that Brian talked about last week. You got Ninja Jesus. It's like, Jesus, I'm, I'm, I'm like, why are you so random? Everyone else ever thought that? Like, why are you so random, Jesus? Don't you know? Come on, Jesus, we, we walked through the book of Luke. We've been doing this for 16 months. We covered John the Baptist way back. Anyone remember our resolution series? Matt did an awesome job with our graphics. This is back January 15th, long time ago. Not this last January, January before that, 2016, yeah. We talked about John the Baptist. 
Jesus, why are you talking about him now? We covered this a long time ago. Is this a trick question? Like, is he just like, do you remember what we covered at the beginning of the semester? Because now, you know, we're going to test on it now. Not at all. The reason Jesus asks them about John the Baptist is because the authority that he has over the temple, over the temple comes from, are you ready for this? He has authority over the temple because of his royal messianic status. And that royal status and authority was conferred to him publicly at the time that John baptized him. Luke 3, we covered this a long time ago, so I'll read it again. Verse 21 through 22. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. The question Jesus is asking is, if John is a true prophet from God, then Jesus is indeed the true Messiah. And if he is the true Messiah, then he has all authority, including authority over the temple. What Luke is telling us is that authority is now passing from the old covenant system of the old sacrificial system to the new. Quietly, in some ways, without anyone really noticing. From now on, even as Jesus hangs on a cross, mocked by the same priests who are going to ask him about authority, he's exercising his authority, his powerful authority of saving and healing and beating back the works of the devil. Jesus saying, all authority under heaven and earth has been given to me. Now, sadly, the religious leaders don't huddle up and ask, okay, how do we, what do we really think about Jesus' question? Who was John? And if John was a true prophet of God, then what he said about Jesus was true, then he is the Messiah. But instead of actually debating the question, they said, well, how do we save face? How do we answer this in a way that the people around us are going to accept that answer? If you're like me, you've done that before. Someone challenges you with something. And instead of actually listening to that challenge, instead of actually thinking through the merits of their question, we think, well, how do I answer this so I can save face? How do I answer this so that people in my small group won't think less of me instead of really confronting the hard truths? And that's what the religious leaders do here. And they discussed it with one another saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, why do you not believe him? But if we say from man, all the people will stone us to death for they're convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it came from. We don't know. And Jesus said to them, well, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. I love this. Jesus is like, you're not gonna answer my question? I'm not gonna answer your question. Like, that's the genius of Jesus. I love that. He's like, I'm not going to tell you. No, nah, no. Nah. I don't know. I don't know how he said it, but sometimes, I don't know. I like to picture it that way. Like, what a mic drop. Boom. I'm not going to tell you either. What? <laughs> and now, this is even better. Jesus is going to turn away from the religious leaders. Like, they're right here. They're like, we're not going to answer your question. And he's like, I'm not going to answer your question either. And he's like, okay, now I'm going to talk to these crowds. He's no longer talking to them, but he's going to talk about them, which I think is just hilarious. Now, Jesus can get away with this because he's perfect. It's not recommended for you and I to try this, all right? Don't try talking about people when they're right here next to you. Uh, that's, that's not good. But Jesus is perfect, and he can do it. Uh, verse 9. And he began to tell the people a parable. Religious people, right here. Won't answer his question. He's like, all right, hold your thought. I'm going to tell you a story. And they're like, hmm, I think the story's about us. And began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and led it out to tenants and went to another country for a long while. If you're in Jesus' audience, 
you would know that this vineyard is a familiar image from Old Testament scriptures of God's investment of time and work and care and patience in Israel with the anticipation of a fruitful return. In Jesus' story, the vineyard has been in the hands of tenants for a long time. In our story, we see that God sent all these prophets year after year, but then there are 400 years of silence where Jesus didn't send a prophet. That he, God didn't send a prophet. He wasn't speaking. And, and the religious leaders kind of took over and kept running things until John the Baptist showed up. And so we see there's been this period of, of, of a long time where the tenants have been in charge. Verse 10, when the time came, he sent a servant to his tenants so they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. God always expects a return on his investment. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant, but they also beat him and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third. This one also they wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. No first century Jew listening to this story that Jesus told in the temple with the religious leaders looking on, none of them would have had to been told that the owner is God. That the farmers for Israel and the messengers are the prophets of old. In Jesus' own understanding, he came as the rightful king to his father's tenants. But the religious leaders were barring his way, determined to keep the vineyard for themselves. Jesus, Jesus is the rightful heir to the ancient prophets and has come to complete their work, challenging Israel one more time to give God the honor and obedience that's due to him. Some of you who've been a part of, of Mosaic from the very beginning, you remember how in year one we covered Genesis and we walked through God as our creator, but then how curse came in and affected the world because of our sin and the way through curse was covenant in this relationship with God. We talk a lot about creation, curse, covenant and then God called Abraham and blessed him to be a blessing to the nations and then same with Isaac blessed to be a blessing and Jacob blessed to be a blessing and then the whole nation of Israel were blessed to be a blessing they weren't meant to just hide a little light under a bushel no they were meant to be a city on a hill a shining light to the rest of the world saying come Learn about the goodness and grace of God. But again and again throughout the Old Testament scriptures, the Jewish people rejected that role and wanted to keep the vineyard to themselves. They wanted to keep that fruit just to themselves and not let the rest of the world in on the story of God. And God again and again then judged the people because they weren't acting the way that he had commanded them to be. It was a light to the rest of the world. Verse 14, but when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Jesus telling the story, temple, week before the cross, religious leaders listening on in. But the story doesn't stop there. The vineyard owner will return at last. And when he does, judgment and justice will come with him. Jesus says, what then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, surely not. They know what he's talking about. They know the vineyard represents God's blessing, their status as his chosen people, the recipients of God's grace and blessing. And Jesus is saying, you have not stewarded it well, so therefore God is going to judge you and give it away to others. And they said, surely not. 
But he looked directly at them and said, what then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. The scribes and chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour. They're like, I think this story is about us, and I don't like it. And you know what? This guy needs to die. They sought to lay their hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. People were with Jesus. They were amazed by him. And this is going to lead to the cross as Jesus comes in and as he's challenging them. See, Jesus will disrupt your life. Write that down, that Jesus will disrupt your life. But Jesus doesn't show up to make your life worse. Jesus shows up and disrupts your life so that you and I can have full life now. That's the genius of Jesus. Jesus came to challenge and to get the people out of their comfort zones. And the same thing today, Jesus is going to challenge you and me to get us out of our comfort zones. See, Jesus will wreck your plans when he sees that your plans are about to wreck you. Jesus will wreck your plans when he sees your plans are about to wreck you. I've been there. I've asked for things. I have begged God, please give me this thing. Give me this job, this whatever it might be. I was like, I know this is what you want from me. And God's like, no, because I know if you got yes to this answer, it is going to wreck your life. So Jesus will wreck our plans when he knows that if we get what we're asking for, it's going to wreck our lives. I got a question for you. When is the last time you changed your mind? When was the last time you knew something about something but then you change your mind on that. See, if you and I are following Jesus, this should happen all the time to us. As Jesus comes in, as he changes us, as he conforms us into his likeness, we should be saying all the time, oh yeah, I used to think that way. I used to think that was okay, or I was so sure about that. But you know what? I changed my mind because Jesus has been working on me and he's been changing me on that. He's been cleaning things out. Yeah, you're right. I used to think this way about politics or religion or parenting or work practices or whatever. But you know what? I don't anymore because Jesus is changing me. He's changing me. If Jesus is coming in, he's challenging us the way that we think. We need to be constantly saying, yep, yep, I, used, yep, I know. I used to think that, but now Jesus has changed me and he's changing my mind. Let's be humble enough to know that we don't know it all, amen? <laughs> As I approach turning 40, it's very close. <laughs> the more I hold things with an open hand than I did 10 years ago, saying, God, you know what? You can change my mind on this. I realize I don't have all the answers. I don't get it all. And if you and I are being changed by Jesus, if he's coming in and challenging our traditions and the way we've thought about things, then we need to be saying, yeah, I, I used to think that way and I, I'm being changed. When Jesus' truth intersects with our traditions, we need to say, you know what? Your truth wins every time. Amen? Because when's the last time, because the reality is, when's the last time you heard someone say, like, you know, oh, Casey, you know Sally. Sally's so awesome. She knows everything about everything. Like, I just love being around her. She's just so fun to be around because she knows everything, right? No! Like, no one, no one thinks that. Like, let's... 
No one wants to be around someone who knows it all. See, if Jesus is really changing you, if he's really challenging you, it's going to be really hard to walk around in your bossy pants. Amen? If he's really changing you, it's going to be hard to walk around and be like, I know everything about everything. You got to do this. You got to do that. You got to do this. You got to do that. We, we have humility and say, you know what? Jesus is changing me. And I used to think this way, but now I think this way. And, 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 and he's changing us. And we're becoming more like Christ. And we're saying, you know what? I, I, I'm here to love you. And I just want to introduce you to Jesus. And there's a whole lot of things. I don't, I don't have it all worked out. But let's, let's, go, let's go meet him. And we allow the Holy Spirit to come into our life and to change us and to convict us. Don't you want to run into your friends? Maybe you haven't seen in a couple of years. And they're like, wow, you've changed so much. Like, you're amazing. And at first maybe we'd be like, whoa, how was that before? What do you mean? <laughs> like, I mean, I'm amazing now. You know, but the reality is we... We want to be growing and changing and being more like Jesus. And we want our friends we haven't seen in years to be like, wow, you aren't the same way that you used to be. You're not the same Ryan that I used to know, amen? You know, God is changing us and transforming. We have a bunch of Ryans that are like, which one is he talking about? <laughs> I love that. I even looked at all three at the same time. I was like, ah, boom. I love it. But that's what should be happening all the time. If Jesus is coming in and challenging us and changing us, See, it happens little by little. We don't even realize it's happening until we look back and we run into someone we used to know and we're like, that's right, I have changed. Jesus has been changing me. I used to act this way. I used to be arrogant. I used to party this way. But now Jesus has changed me. I didn't even realize it was happening. And that's the genius of Jesus. And see, Jesus didn't come just to keep us comfortable. He came to challenge us. And church, we aren't here just to be comfortable. Jesus challenges us and says, don't get too comfortable. Because if you're in that place of comfort, you can't be stepping into your calling. To find your calling, you have to forsake your comfort. That's what Jesus did. He stepped out of the comforts of heaven. He gave up those privileges to step into our mess, into our brokenness that led him to the cross. To accomplish his calling, he had to step out of those comforts of heaven. And the same is true for you and me, that we have to step out of what is comfortable if we're going to accomplish the calling that God has put on my life, on your life. Amen? Jesus didn't come just to keep us comfortable. He came to challenge us. And I know it is scary to step out of those places of comfort. But here's what I've learned. That the greatest enemy of faith, of following Jesus, of walking by what we can't see, but trusting Christ, the greatest enemy of that isn't fear. I think a lot of us think fear is holding us back. But I think faith and fear live a little side by side. See, you can't really have faith without a little fear. Am I right? Because if you know exactly how it's all going to go, it's not faith. But if you're like, God, I'm a little scared. You're calling me to do this thing, maybe to have this hard conversation, to change this business practice, whatever it might be, and I know I need to step in with faith. I think the greatest enemy of faith is not fear, it's familiarity. See, comfort's going to keep you from your calling. When we just stay in a place where everything is familiar, where everything is just known, hey, I know how this goes. We're just going through the motions. But Jesus came to get us out of our comfort, to challenge us, 
so we could step into our calling. I want to say this. This is for someone in the room right now. Maybe the trouble you're going through right now, that's, the, that's what Jesus is going to use for your transformation. That, that challenge that you are going through, that you are like, God, I don't understand what is going on. God, why are we pregnant again? God, why am I out of work? God, why is my boss so hard on me? God, why do I keep feeling like you're asking me to write this book or start this ministry or talk to this friend about you and I don't want to. I don't understand the troubles I'm going through right now. Maybe Jesus is going to use that to transform your life, to change you, to be more like him. Jesus came to challenge us and to confront our comfort. Now, there's a big difference between condemn and confront. Jesus says, I have not come to condemn the world, but to challenge you because I love you with a reckless abandon that will chase you down wherever you are. Not so that you'd feel condemned, not so that you would feel the crushing weight of your own sin and inadequacies. Jesus says, yeah, it's hopeless unless you know a guy. Unless you know a guy. Jesus steps into our pain, into the unknown. He challenges us. See, when I love my comfort more than Christ, I will never step into my calling. Here's something I heard this week that hit me hard. And I was like, oh, I don't like this. This is convicting. So I'm going to share it with you guys. <laughs> so you can share with me in my conviction. When is the last time I prayed for something that would make my life a little less convenient? When's the last time you prayed for something that's going to make your life a little less convenient? Jesus, I pray that you would, you know, bring some messy people into my life who don't have it all together. It's not going to make things convenient, but I know this is what you're calling me to do. When is the last time you prayed for something, whatever that might be, that didn't lead to more convenience in your life, but a little more challenge? I heard that, and I was like, boom. I don't like that at all. <laughs> so I need to talk about that on Sunday. But it's true. I mean, I'm in it just like you. Everyone on the stage, we're all, we're all in this together. We all want to stay where it's comfortable, where it's easy. Let's pray for things that make our lives a little less convenient. So we can step into our calling. So we can make a difference. So we can be more like Jesus. Amen. Aren't you thankful that Jesus loved you more than the comforts of heaven? Aren't you glad that Jesus stepped into his calling? Aren't you glad that even though it hurts, Jesus challenges us so that we can be conformed in his likeness? Love is messy. As believers, Jesus wants us to follow his example and run towards others' mess. We live in a world where people naturally run away from other people's junk. People are dealing with pain and hurt and difficulty all around us. Life gets overwhelming and struggles weigh us down. But as a church, 
We are not called to love from a distance. We are called like Jesus to step into the mess with others who are hurting and help those who are tired and wounded. We're called to be in it with them and to point them to God. Can I get an amen? It is scary. It is hard. I want it to be comfortable and easy. I got to tell you, I did not want to start this church. I, I've said this so many times. I, I did set up and tear down for 10 long years before I, we, we started Mosaic. I was like, I'm done, God. I want something that's comfortable. I, I want a church with stained glass and pews and no more messy people, which meant that the church would be just like no one, you know, because uh, everyone's got a mess. I was like, I don't want to do this, God. I want something comfortable and convenient. And Jesus is like, nope. <laughs> and I pray, God, somebody give us a building. Uh, as long as it's not comfortable, as long as we are able to use that building to be inconvenienced because just people's mess and brokenness just gets to come in and we get to have seven days of ministry instead of just one day here. Amen? Amen? We're, never gonna get a, we're never looking to the finish line where it's just going to be comfortable. Jesus invites, that's what we learned week one, Jesus invites and he's inviting you this morning to respond to him, to step out of your of your brokenness, out of your shame, into a relationship with him. Jesus commits. He committed himself to the cross. Jesus challenges. I want to challenge you to commit to inviting two families to one of our two Easter services. You like how that worked out? I was really pleased about that. I want to challenge you to commit. Who can you invite? It's not about numbers or crowds. It's about the fact that there are hurting and broken people who need to meet this Jesus who stepped out of the comforts of heaven and challenges us because he loves us. Amen? Would you stand with me? God, I thank you that you are our deliverer our healer, you stepped out of heaven to lead us out of bondage into freedom, not so that we'd be comfortable in that, but God, that then we would then go into the world to step into the darkness, into the mess like you did. And God, to, to love. God, to, to step into those places where no one wants to go and say, we are here for you. We are here for good. We are here because we love you. So God, we ask that you continue to break the chains of bondage in our lives, to break the chains of fear that are holding us back. God, to step out of our comfort into our calling. God, challenge us to be more like you, to make a difference, to introduce people to you. I thank you, God, for that. Be with us now as we sing. Let us mean these words. Change our hearts to be more like you, God. Ooh.